You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to Drinks with Tony. And our guest this week is Tom Benjamin. Check out his new book, A Quiet Death in Italy. And for the last week of 2021, we have a sponsor. And the sponsor of Drinks with Tony is fear. Fear. It's a great emotion. It helps you purchase products you probably don't need, make decisions against your best interest, and even ruin healthy relationships. So choose fear because you mainly need to buy stuff we're selling that you probably don't need. But if your neighbor has bought it, developing a solid fear of self should move you to buy into it as well. Because if you don't, your neighbor will see you as vulnerable and weak and they'll tell their neighbors, and so on. It may not be in your best interest, but don't worry. Everybody's buying fear. And now, Tom and I talk about some great stuff. And if you don't listen to the end, you'll miss out. In fact, we're depending on your fear of missing out. FOMO. Hi, this is Tom Benjamin, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. And uh, even though I'm drinking tea because I'm an Englishman. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Tom Benjamin. He's the author of The Hunting Season. Tom, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Tony. Good to speak to you. Yeah. And so this is the second installment of your series, right? Yeah, this is number two. Uh, of the uh, Daniel Lester series. Daniel's a, uh, an English private detective living in Bologna, Italy. And, um, where, and, and where do you happen to live? Um, funny enough, I, uh, I'm, I'm living in Bologna, Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. I know. Okay, go, <laughs> go ahead. Because I, 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 I love the story behind um, your journey as, uh, where, as your regional location, as well as how you ended up writing um, these books, but go, but go ahead. Where, where does, where does your, and you say, I'm scared to say his name. How do you, how do you say his name? Yeah. That's, that's precisely why he's called Daniel Lester. Lester. Lester, because you foreigners, when you come to, uh, you, you, you want to screw us up. <laughs> <laughs> when you come, when you come to London, because I'm from London originally, when you come to London, you always say, and, uh, you know, can you show me the way to your wonderful Leicester Square? And, you know, we always find that very amusing. Oh, so, okay, because that's and, exactly what I would have said, Leicester. Exactly. Well, I, I once had, um, well, I've still got a friend, an American friend. In fact, I have many. And, and uh, but he, he used to, uh, I remember when he came to London once, he'd say, oh, yeah, and I, I really want to, I really want to go and see your, your, your lovely, lo- lovely river Tamers. <laughs> well, that one I would get. That one I would get. The Thames, right? Am I good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's the Thames. A... Yeah, the Thames. Thames, yeah, the yeah. Thames. Okay. In fact, I think he called it Thames now. Now I come to think of it, I think it was Thames. Have to go and see. Oh my god! Thames. See, I, I watch Doctor Who, so and and, and certain <laughs> other shows. So I, I'll I'll get references because of my uh, TV viewing habits, but. <laughs> But yeah, he's called he's called Lester because you know obviously that's a that's a name that anyone who's not uh, British struggles with. So particularly Italians, you know, For the Italians it would be Leicester, for example. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Leicester, Do, dove yeah. Leicester? Do you do you speak Italiano? Yeah. Do you parli Italiano? Parlo un po' Italiano, sì, sì. Ma sei Italiano, no? Tony Duchesne. is that a tool? Is that a tool Italian? It's a, it's a little northeast or northwest. It's French. Oh, Tony yeah, yeah. Duchamp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably you see now. You're probably even saying that better than I pronounce it. <laughs> I, I was I was always all right actually when I was at school. I was already always all right at the uh, pronunciation. I was just really rubbish at the languages. You know, actually learning the languages. I could kind of pronounce them all right, but I just couldn't remember them or talk to them very well. But at the same time, this this always intrigues me with languages. Were you able to communicate what you needed to say? Mm, no, not really. That's pretty <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> I, I left school. I left school at sixteen, 
sounds as if like, you know, and then I went to work on a farm, but no, <laughs> I left school at 16 and I went to a technical college. But the point is I kind of gave up kind of, you know, formal, formal learning at that point. And so obviously French went right out the window and, um, and I didn't pick up any other languages until, um, until I came to Italy, uh, basically. And, uh, you know, basically from, I don't know, 45 or whatever, I had to sort of learn Italian because I was an immigrant. And um, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, I reckon. And because you can't just, you can't just, it's, you know, I got this, so cut a long story short, we moved here about, um, I don't know, 14 years ago or something now. And um, for the first three years, I commuted every week between uh, Italy and the UK, because it's only like two, two hours. It's like, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I was going to make some sort of, comparison to America but I don't know it's like San Francisco to LA or something like that in a plane or something I don't yeah, know a little bit it'd probably be more San Francisco to Portland yeah something like that anyway mm -hmm. so I was doing that every week and um I would do that every week too if I could if I was if I was right next to if I was two hours away from Italy I'd be doing that every week <laughs> well exactly exactly and and also you know I was going with this like you know we have really cheap airlines here and um, so it wasn't costing hardly anything so so it's like a bus really so I didn't have to do anything but then after a few years um, I decided you know for various reasons um, to to stop and to settle in Italy and Okay, and I hadn't learned any Italian at that, up to that point because I was only ever there at the weekends. My wife's Italian and, um, you know, I was really knackered, basically. And I just wanted to sort of, you know, just hang around the, the, the flat and eat ice cream and do all the kind of tourist stuff every weekend. So, um, so yeah, so I, so, I, so I had to learn the language and it was, uh, it was really, really tough uh, because, you know, you, you kind of buy one of these kind of books um, well, I, I bought one of these books, you know, learn Italian in three months. And I thought it's like, you know, where is it? It's Paris here. Here it is. It's a uh, oh, wow. kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's so, I can learn Italian in three months with this, Tony. Just three months. With, and I looked at it and I thought, bloody hell. Does it have you a know, tape? I'll, I'll learn, I'll learn like, that in three weeks. I thought. It, does it have like a tape, a recording you can listen to and along with yeah, that or it's really, just the book? really it's just like it's just like kind of the grammar and you know a bit of like vocabulary and whatever anyway yeah. so so of course I, I i did that and i've completely failed <laughs> and um you know because you kind of get to like week four and then you, you have to go back again because you can't remember anything you did before and so then i went to this um so then i signed on to this uh, language school where i went for about three months and I, I kind of grew quite proficient at, um, at sort of asking the way to, to the swimming pool, you know, with, you know, my, my, <laughs> my, my class of teenagers, you know, yeah. <laughs> from like, you know, Turkey and Japan and, and places <laughs> like this. And, and then you go on the street and someone would just kind of go, and you'd yeah. be like, what, what? <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so in the end I had to get a, um, well, I was fortunate enough actually to get a, a job um, at uh, at the door of a, a sort of a homeless canteen, and um, and it was there basically. I actually learned Italian um, because uh, well because I had to, and because obviously I you know I I, I had a burning desire to, um, but it was you know really tough, and um, and it took years um, to be able to kind of you know, I mean you know you spend the first year learning you know yeah yeah sure you'd have kind of good proficient tourist italian or what have you but right. you'd kind of go out with your wife or sit with her family or whatever and it would just be this blur blur around you you know you're like a kind of a <laughs> kind of prisoner <laughs> and um and yeah and so it's taken like literally years to to, to actually be able to speak the, the language fluently and you know have italian friends and go out and socialize with italians and do all the rest um in a normal way but you know i did learn i did begin at zero from the age of 45 so it's not it's not as if i was some you know kid learning it or something like that i think that when you get to to my age you know you, your, your brain has basically turned to concrete so everything just like bounces off you know so uh so yeah maybe it'd be easier for other people but not for me yeah, yeah, I know. I try. I try to do some etchings in the concrete of my brain to 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 shift 
shift perspective, shift the story. So, um, so it, you had, when, when did you start the, um, I'm going to, okay. Le- Lester. Daniel Lester. When, when did you start? When, when did you realize that you had this character and he was, um, he, the, the, the setting was Bologna. Yeah. So to be honest, I, well, I've always written, um, but I've never had anything. I, I'd never had anything published previously. And so I'd always had the kind of ambition to write fiction. And there I was, you know, basically a bouncer. Um, do you say bouncer in, in American? Do you yeah, have bouncers? Yeah. yeah. So I was like basically the bouncer on, on, a, on, um, were you a heavy bouncer? A... Like, did you, like, did you have to like break up fights or was it more of a, just checking people? In? I, I did. I had to break, really? I had to, I had to break up fights, Tony. Yeah. But I, I was definitely not, I was definitely not a heavy bouncer. I was just a very tall one Yeah. because I'm six foot three. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I, I like to say I'm like, you know, probably the tallest person in Bologna or what have you. So it's just sh- by, by sheer virtue of my height, they kind of thought I was the right guy for the job. And Very cool. um, other, temperamentally, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't put you to the psycho- psychology tests. <laughs> <laughs> tests? There were no tests. Health and yeah. safety? There was yeah. no health and safety. Yeah, I used yeah. to have to go. I used to have to go like, you know, there'd be, there would be, um, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty grim actually. Um, you know, so actually it was, I say, I, I, I call it a homeless shelter because it's, uh, it's easier just to say that, but actually it was a can, can, canteen for poor people. And they didn't necessarily need to be homeless or whatever. Um, and we used to like serve meals at 12 o'clock, uh, lunch at 12 o'clock for about, let's say a hundred people. But they used to sort of, so you have, used to have the people with who had already got the passes, but then you had the people without the passes. And so the people with the passes would come during the day, but the people without the passes would just like gather. And many of them would be gathering there from about eight o'clock in the morning or something like that. And, um, you know, because they wanted to see if there are going to be some free seats to get in. And we usually had about between 10, 15 free seats. And, and yeah. And um, so this would all kind of go on during the day and, um, and then we kind of let them in, the people with the passes. And then it would be my job, not always my job, but often my job <laughs> to, to the guy, one, one of my colleagues would like slam the door behind me and I'd have to like go out and then pick the people who are going to be eating that day. Oh, wow. We'd be talking about a crowd of 20 or 30. And, you know, you literally just sort of like say, you know, you, 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 and you, you can like drag so them in. Wow. And you like so... literally close the door and all like these faces of these people kind of looking at you, you know. Oh my God. And um, yeah, it was like Dickensian. It was, um, I was completely unprepared for it. Um, and to be fair, after I, I, I came back after a year uh, because I'd, I'd had to quit because I broke my leg, which is another story. And um, they'd changed the system. Um, and so basically they weren't letting anyone in without, without a pass, but at least, at least that stopped the kind of, you know, this sort of selection process, um, every, every, every lunchtime in which you're literally kind of, you know, and you start off being, let's say kind of, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to try to be kind of fair here, you right. know, try to remember who was the first person who got there and that they'd, they'd have been queuing, but then the, then, then, then the queue would have melted and that it would have just become a mob and then they'd be mobbing you. And you'd start off by saying, oh, yes, well, I think I remember you and I remember you. But in the end, you're just kind of like, oh, you look, you look more deserving. You look hungrier. <laughs> you, you know, you look more vulnerable. And um, it's so, like, yeah, you, it's you, like yeah. you were a casting. It's like you were a casting agent for uh, uh, for a, a film and yeah. it, and you have to sit there. But you're deciding the fates of people who will eat that day. <laughs> yeah, it was like I mean, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty intense. Um, and a lot more intense for the people who weren't going to eat. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, that's yeah, actually and, that's a heavy responsibility. That's something that would yeah. that would haunt me at home because I would be like, I yeah. think I let the wrong person in. 
Yeah, I, yeah, they, yeah. You know, and you know what? That person was playing puppy dog eyes to me. And now I figured <laughs> it out. They were full. I know they were full, but there was that other person. There was some authenticity to her. You know, it's, I would yeah. second guess myself constantly. No, it was, it was, it was actually quite grim actually. And, um, and that got me thinking really about, you know, obviously all of this and, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on because a lot of the people who were being admitted um, had all sorts of issues. And so, you know, there's a lot of trouble and all the rest. And, and, you know, it, it got me thinking about, well, you know, this is definitely not the Italy that most people are used to and you know already Bologna is really not the Italy and um, these days I mean you know we're talking uh, you know 10-15 years later Bologna does seem to have a kind of higher profile in the kind of you know in the kind of global traveler chat world but it certainly didn't seem to when um, when we first went there and it certainly didn't seem to um, you know when, when I was when I was there um, when I when I arrived and so it seemed to be quite an unknown city. And there I was doing this kind of quite grim job. And initially, you know, I, I started thinking, well, actually, it would be really kind of interesting just to write about this. Um, but, you know, to be frank, I was also interested in, um, well, I, I just thought, well, you know, this is so grim and this is so sort of so way out there, like no one is ever going to publish this. And I'd like spent my entire sort of writing career kind of writing kind of obscure stuff which I was like writing for the art and like no one was ever going to publish and um so so yeah so I, I was sort of sitting with that and um and then I came across this book um a fact a factual book a diary called uh, Naples 44 uh, by Norman Lewis who was a British essayist um, who was writing in the late 40s to the early 70s. And um, just a beautiful writer. He kind of like writes with this, this style, kind of with kind of clarity, a kind of Orwellian clarity, you know. And, um, and he, he wrote a couple of books about Italy, but this was actually his diary, which was actually published in the 60s. But it was his diary of his time as... A sort of secret policeman in Naples in 1944 and this book was called Naples 44 and you know I can't recommend it more highly um, and it's a book if you read it that that will, will never leave you um, and it's basically um, yeah his diary so basically what had happened was you know the allies had invaded Italy and you know um, the they had occupied Naples but um, he was actually attached to the American army because it turned out the American army didn't have like sort of secret police wing. <laughs> so they hired the, the kind of Brits to come in and supply, you know, do their kind of like secret police thingamajig. I don't know. Anyway, so he turns, he, he ends up kind of basically being this sort of secret policeman, but really kind of like just kind of a policeman um, representing the Allies in Naples in 1944, and it's just a record of his time there. And he writes with such insight and compassion um, that it's just it just sort of never leaves you. Just describing the the city, um, you know, a, a, a starving city basically, a city a city kind of you know completely traumatized uh, following the occupation, um, full of booby traps. Um, and you know, just huge number, huge, huge amounts of deprivation. Um, and you know what, what what was going on there, and just the stories and the vignettes. You know, he kind of you know, describes, and you know, just like um, he has a friend who's um, he has a friend who's kind of an informer. So he has basically all these informers, <laughs> a help oh, kind of helping him kind of arrest sort of black marketeers and things but one of them is um one of them is this kind of he comes from this kind of aristocratic neapolitan family and he's a lawyer and he said well you know we're all lawyers because you know we can't work because we come from the aristocracy but law is seen as a noble profession but there's never any work for us and so this guy is always really well dressed 
um, and you know really kind of you know classy uh, but like slowly starving to death and, and he says well, you know he picks up money he picks up money being um, was it called the uncle from Rome so, so what he'll do is so like you know poorer families will hire him to attend weddings and funerals as the ah. uncle from Rome <laughs> I gotta read this this sounds amazing and this is true no, absolutely true. This is like a non-fiction yeah. account. Um, and there are like some other terrible stories. In fact, at one time... I want the uncle gig. Sorry? I want the uncle gig. <laughs> yeah, you can be, you can be the un- uncle from LA, can't you? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, wow. I wonder what his story is, you know? And I'd just be sitting there. It'll be like a, it'll be like an Asian an Asian wedding and I'll be like the, the white uncle in the corner. Yeah, so it'll exactly. be very confusing. Yeah. So anyway, so I read that. So I read this book. And so that kind of like, so then I thought, well, look, there we are. This, you know, is my inspiration. You know, basically what I want to do is, is, is sort of like duplicate this setup in Bologna in a fiction, with a fictional detective in the modern day. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, his Naples wasn't sort of like, you know, the, the kind of, you know, Naples of, you know, ice cream and all the rest. It was kind of grim Naples. And, you know, I sort of wanted to write, not exactly grim Bologna, but you know, a different, I wanted to talk about Italy from a different perspective. And, well, authenticity, you know, and, 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 and it's yeah. just essentially, because, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and people think Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz, right? And they think cable cars, yeah. they don't know yeah. that yeah. San Francisco's neighborhoods are different cities and almost different countries, you know, especially when I was growing up, where you could you could be you could be in the wrong neighborhood and it's a huge problem and um yeah. but but yeah. i love i love digging i love seeing behind the curtain you know it's almost like a behind the curtain of because naples just sounds gorgeous you're on the, you're on the coast and, and it's just like but but i what was that what was that tv show that came out that was huge um the italian one Gamora. that one which one Gamora. Gamora. Yeah. I know what Naples is like now. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead with, um, with, with how you were, uh, how you were uh, uncovering Bologna. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so, so that was, so, so that kind of gave me an in to, to the, to the series really, and to the idea. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fascinating because, you know, of course there's, you know, the great Don Elion, and, you know, there are other kind of, you know, writers who, who, you know, Anglo-Saxon writers who, um, you know, have, who, who write about Italy and have, you know, their, their detectives in, in Italy, but, you know, they're almost always um, Italians. And, and actually I thought, well, yeah, I don't really want to do that um, because I think that what interests me is the contrast. You know, I'm writing for uh, an English speaking audience and, and I want to talk about, like Norman Lewis did, you know, I'm not going to pretend, you know, to kind of, you know, create an Italian, you know, an Italian, Italian narr- narrator. I, I precisely want to do what Norman Lewis did. I want to kind of be an insider outside, I want to kind of insider outsider perspective. You know, I want, I mean, one of the things that um, is very clear in, 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 in Norman Lewis's book and books in general, you know, it's not this kind of, oh, you know, here I am among the foreigners, you know, there's this kind of real, he really relates and empathises with them, you know, and, and I hope that, you know, my, um, you know, my, my, my narrator um, does, and, you know, that has come over in the, you know, some of the reviews, you know, they, they, they say, oh, you know, you can tell this guy, you know, really has an affection for the country, but, you know, my, you know, I, I remember quite clearly, you know, my, my, uh, an agent calling me up to reject uh, the first book, A Quiet Death in Italy, by saying to me, you know, you can't write this about Italy. You know, it's just too grim. You know, it's just, it's just too, there's just, it's just, just too miserable. It's, you know, it's not my eye. You know, you can tell, you know, this, this very posh lady, you know, her, her, her idea of Italy was, you know, Tuscan holidays and, right. you, know, you know, basically under the Tuscan sun with murders. And, you know, <laughs> you can't do this. You can't do this to my Italy. You know, she was almost offended. That's that's very uh, funny. It's good. You got to shatter people's um, perceptions. I would take that as one of the greatest rejections ever. I'd be like, oh, my God, I did it right. I did it exactly right. You're the person I don't want to like this book. Thank you very much. Go back to your high high, uh, condo overlooking the, the Thames. 
the Thames. The Thames. The Thames. <laughs> you know, go back, go back to your lush life, and you know, go find your little uh, books that don't, um, that don't um, ask you to think about anything. Yeah, yeah. Take off with you. I'll go find me a better agent. Yeah, yeah. As indeed I did. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, look, I don't want to like, like try to, I don't want to sort of paint myself into a corner here and say my books are just all about Grim Italy. But, you know, I did, I just, you know, I just, I, 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 I didn't want to, you know, Bologna isn't a typical city. And, you know, I didn't want to kind of write a typical under the task and some with murders. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, at the same time, you know, I never really had any particular interest in Italy before I came here. Um, I wasn't one of these kind of, you know, Italophiles. <laughs> you almost said Italophobe. Italophobe. <laughs> I wasn't one of these Italophiles. Fear of Italians. I, you know, I, yeah. I, the, the minute I, I hear uh, too many vowels, I just have a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I really didn't really care very much. We just came here by accident. And then mm -hmm. I found myself here doing this stuff and it just began to, be, began to interest me. So, you know, my point is I didn't want to kind of write these kind of peons to how wonderful it is, but I have really kind of like grown to love the country and the people. And, you know, I take a deep interest in it. So, so that's what I like seek to, re seek to reflect in the novels, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you and it's like you're not a you're not a you're not a, you're not on the tourism board. To to write mm -hmm. from an honest place is yeah. you know especially writing from a um an expat point of view is mm -hmm. you know that's that makes so much sense. It's if you try to pretend like the narrator was Italian, mm -hmm. the uh, we, we we would feel a little bit of uh, we would feel something's wrong, you know. It's, mm -hmm. But when we have when we add it's our just, truth to it, it's. Yeah, it just gives me a hell of a lot more liberty, you yeah. know, I can, I can, you know, I can just like tell a lot more jokes and sort of like talk about, you know, and like compare things a lot more and, and, you know, because, you know, what I really wanted to do with Daniel, Daniel Lester, is I really wanted him to be, um, you know, a sort of Atavar, you know, I wanted, I wanted, you know, he, the, the reader to go to travel through, um, you know, the city and, and sort of explore the city as he he does you know I, he's he's kind of pretty kind of like you know pretty pretty ordinary bloke really um you know I didn't want to give him one leg or or whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> um you know because precisely because I wanted the reader to sort of really explore and discover the city and Italy precisely as I was doing you know, and that is the because again, that was the joy I got out of this um, Norman Lewis book because you know he's writing a diary and it's like oh you know, Monday I wake up here and this happens and this happens. You know, his his literally kind of stuff is happening to him and you're kind of having this kind of vicarious experience beside him. And I and I wanted to sort of you know achieve that in the novels fundamentally. And the and yeah. And you emailed me. Did you just finish the third installment of the book? Was that uh, fourth? Yeah, the fourth. fourth. Okay, or the, the series. Yeah. I'm sorry, not the book. Oh, yeah, congrats! Yeah, yeah. Congratulations! And and yeah. your and your publication day was yesterday, right? So the publication day for well, the hunting season in um, in the states uh, was supposed to be yesterday, but apparently the, there's a huge kind of um, queue at the ports. Um, oh right! So if you want so it, you got you got to swim. You got to swim yeah, and ask exactly. them to send so one to down. Out. You have to swim out to the storage ship. And, and, Tom Benjamin, uh, yeah. please, Tom Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> they throw one. They pitch one. I was over the side to you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and but anyway, yeah, it's coming out on the 11th of January, according to Amazon, and that's 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 what I'm working by. Uh, oh, okay. It's available. It's available. It's available on Kindle already. In fact, both are available on Kindle, um, but I don't think they arrive in uh, paperback until mid-January now or something. Oh, but, you, know, you know, that... You can't argue with COVID. That frustrates me, though, as a writer, because when, when, when my, you know, my book came out, because <laughs> I, I don't have my second book published yet, we'll even see if anyone gives a crap, but when the first book came out, 
they had a publication date of like February. And then all of a sudden it was available in December. And I'm just like, what? And people were like, and I'm like, you guys like, yeah, it's, this is supposed to all sync up to, uh, you know, of uh, events and, you know, I had events planned and stuff, but it, it felt like it was like two months after I'm like, don't you guys hold these things back? And then now they're holding them back on ships, shipping containers. Yeah, so, that, yeah. yeah. So, and then with the, you know, with Kindle these days, now it's just like, it's, I, I want it all at once. I wanted it as an author. I would want it all at the same time. So I can just, does this yeah, frustrate yeah, yeah, you? Does this frustrate you as much as it frustrates me for you? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I got this, um, I was really kind of delighted to get this, uh, you know, Publishers Weekly um, uh, review, you know, and and they sent around uh, an email. A friend uh, sent me, oh, you know, I've got the kind of email from Publishers Weekly saying your starred review is, you know, on the, you know. Oh, you got the star. I love the star. Yeah, I got a starred review, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. stars are good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, saying it's out today. And, of course, well, it's not out today, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> So you can only like, you know, pre-order it or whatever. And of course, I suppose I, I comfort myself by saying that 16th of December is a bit, a little late for Christmas. So, you know, if, if people were going to buy it for Christmas, then, um, but, you know, that, that, that was probably never going to happen. But, but what can you do? You can't really argue with COVID. And um, that, that seems to have sort of... I argue with COVID every day. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you, why did you get out? <laughs> the first argument I have after that, I argue with my coffee uh, maker. Why is this not strong <laughs> enough? It's, it's, it's constant arguing at things I can't control and in, in, inanimate objects. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the way to go. That's the best way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we're developing something here. It is, you know, that I, I, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're inspiring me to, uh, create a character that argues with diseases and things they can't control. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for that. You, you, you will be dedicated. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so you were, you started as a journalist. Is that right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what was your, so, yeah, what, uh, what did you cover? Yeah, I started off in the local papers uh, mm -hmm. in North London. Yeah. And, you know, I started off as a cub reporter. And, um, you know, I covered everything from like, you know, weddings to crossbow murders. Um, we were in, um, we were wait, in. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Crossbow murders? Yeah, well, that, that's like my most memorable one. Yeah. So, we so, were in, well, um, so, so, so what happened in the crossbow murder? And, is the person in prison today or? Um... Oh, I have no idea. I have to be careful, actually. Maybe they're out. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> there's a guy, there's a guy on a ship coming to Bologna and he's got a crossbow and his ammo ready to go for the journalist. <laughs> that's that... very big. Yeah. <laughs> there's a target and everything. Right, right. Um, sir, so... sir, what is this for? Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hunting season after right. all. Wow. I'm just I'm just gonna hunt in Bologna with my crossbow. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with a journalist. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I mean, well, because we uh, so we covered like uh, well, we covered northeast London, and in northeast London, um, you know, there was a lot of crime and stuff going on, and we also had Epping Forest, and Epping Forest was a real, really kind of favourite place for criminals to dump bodies, and um, so you know. Um, there were always loads of bodies there, like picking wow. up there. Yeah. And um, and then one day I got a call from, you know, just one of my police people. And they said, oh, come down, you know, come down to like the forest. Why don't you come down to the forest? We've got something to show you. Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, you know, like I was like 22 or something. And they used to take the mickey out of me because I was, you know, because I was 22. And right. And, um, and so, you know, we went down there and, and there was this kind of car with the door kind of open. It was just kind of run. They said, oh, Go on, take a look at that. And there was a woman there with like a crossbow with a crossbow bolt through her head. Whoa. <laughs> and so so what was the story behind that? Was that was that a um was that a that, that's obviously a targeted situation because I don't think anyone that does crossbow or bow and arrow yeah, killings yeah, it was a gang is, thing. Yeah, it was a gang thing, yeah. Oh, it was gang? 
It was gang related. Yeah, yeah, gang. We have we 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 have gangs in um in the United Kingdom as well. I w- London, I, yeah. I understand that. I I thought maybe it was a, it was like a lover triangle thing, you know. Was... No, 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 no. It wasn't that. No, no. But yeah, I mean, you know, but that was like in the um that would have been the late eighties or something when. Uh, so but I I've never seen a dead body. So what was when what was the first dead body you saw? I mean, is it is it is it eerie to go to a murder scene and go? Oh, that um, that person had a life about an hour and a half ago. Um, yeah, I suppose it. I, yeah, I suppose so. Um, well, that's a well, that's a that's a that, that's a question I wasn't expecting. Um, uh oh, did I? You're going to have to go into therapy after this, aren't you? <laughs> did I open something up? No. <laughs> I'm just sort of thinking about some of the dead bodies. Um, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think that I think that when you're, I think that when you're working as a reporter, um, in general, um, you have to develop a, a thick skin pretty quickly. Uh, you know, particularly in those days, I think that when you know it was a more macho culture you know for for men and women and you you know you're expected to sort of like you know just sort of shrug things off um i remember kind of like looking you know you know at that and just going oh, 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 oh you know <laughs> and i kind of thought about it for a little while but it didn't particularly um you know affect me um but yeah maybe i just need therapy maybe that's well, what it's about well if you're around uh police too that have to see a lot of that there's you know i'm sure that's that is one of the hardest jobs where they have to take home those images in their minds and try to you know when they're working essentially i suppose yeah i I, I suppose so i mean you know as i said i haven't been exposed to that much uh, gore or violence or anything um but um but yeah i do think that i do think that one kind of develops a sort of uh, professional detachment um um you know about a lot of about a lot of these things it's kind of you kind of um uh, sort of absorb the institutional culture um and um you kind of other um people other things you know if something yeah. happens to you and your family that's one thing or your friends if something happens to other people then that's another thing um so so yeah in general um you sort of develop a kind of way of dealing with things that, um, well, I suppose that one has to in, in those circumstances. Yeah. How much fun it is though, to be in with the, with the cops. And uh, I mean, like if you're like around London and you're, and you know, all the cops, you can kind of get away with some stuff, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. well, certainly not now. I mean, this is like 40 or 30 years ago, something like yeah, that. Yeah. I was actually thinking of getting in touch because, you know, I used to work at Scotland Yard in the um, the press office there. And I was actually thinking of getting in touch with um, in touch with them because, you know, just to do some research um, about something, something else I'm interested in. Um, and then I kind of realized that, yeah, I, I may be able to kind of pull a few kind of, you know, strings or what have you, because I used to be a spokesman, you know, a spokesperson for Scotland Yard. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But actually, there is almost certainly literally no one there that I worked with now. Right. <laughs> so. so what what exactly is 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 a spokesman kind of a marketing publicist type thing or? or... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although it was it was a, it's a bit different to that. Um, you know, there was the publicity in a marketing department when you're a spokesperson. Um, you are literally, you know, there, there, there's like a 24 hour press bureau at least there was when I was there and um and you know you'd be called any time of the day or night um and you know by a reporter and they'll say you know can you can you tell us about this you know body that you've uh, you know that's been found in such and such or do you have any comment about this crime or that crime or whatever um and you know you would literally have to you know comment (laughs) tell them you know you you would be the official line of the police um and um yeah, so that, that 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 was interesting. Yeah. It it, it's, and, it seems like there'd be heavy responsibility there because there there are things you can't say to the press if if there's an ongoing yeah. investigation. So you yeah. have to be. Re- I mean, well, are you really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, tons of tons of stuff. I mean, I, I 
you know, I think that the kind of the, the legal issues and the way that, you know, police services behave in, in various, you know, countries and cultures is different. Um, back then, there was a kind of like, you know, there were the officials like, like me, you know, and there were a lot of back channels and there are loads of scandals actually going on when I was there, <laughs> which I, I was pretty much unaware of um, about, uh, you know, um, police. Is that why you had to move it? That's why you had to move to Italy. <laughs> yeah there you got me there you got, you got me there in fact in fact i wrote a short story about why daniel lester had to move to italy which is nothing to do with the police but is a bit like that actually uh-huh. but hopefully that'll come out next year in a kind of compilation of uh, short stories anyway but um but yeah um and so you know we would have to uh we would have to sort of like you know give the official line so we'd speak to the police you know, with the police officers on the scene or what have you, we'd agree a line with them. And then we would, you know, speak to the, and we'd have like loads of questions and answers, loads of stuff that you couldn't say, you know, according to, you know, UK law, once someone's been charged, I don't know if you have charged, charging in America, once someone's been charged, then you can't discuss the crime, um, you know, things like that. Um, so, so yeah, there was a lot that there was a lot that was, there was a lot that we couldn't discuss, but we kind of like had to see everything in order to decide what we could and we couldn't say. If that makes sense, it does, um, and it sounds like it, I, that sounds like a fun job because it's it sounds like it's just a lot of research, and then also it's about um, it's, I guess it's a communicating job because you do have you you it is storytelling. But you can only do a certain part because there's high stakes if you say the raw if you accidentally slip on a um really 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 high stakes i mean if you say the wrong thing you know uh, a court case could be lost right you know someone could be released um so yeah so it was so it's you know quite high pressured um environment and you know you're dealing with a lot of stuff going on and in fact it was actually dealing with the police at that time because also I used to, to work with what was known as the sort of special, um, what's it called? Special um, operations desk. I, I spent a year on the special operations desk, which was basically all the kind of, you know, the spook stuff for Scotland Yard, all of like, you know, special branch and all of these, these sorts of things. And so, you know, I was exposed to a lot of the stuff around terrorism and all that sort of business. And, um, and I used a lot of that a lot of the kind of police officers I came across and and the kind of practices that were going on and definitely the attitudes I kind of I think I'm pretty sure I projected a lot of sort of if you like the late 80s early 90s British police onto the Italian police who are kind of featured in my books today um, I think it's it's a it's it still blows my mind that how many years ago the 80s and 90s were because I went to high school in the 80s right mm. and it's just like mm. that that's like ancient for people I yeah. I, te- I teach I teach screenwriting classes and I talk I'll talk about movies and I'll just say oh yeah you know like let's look at Fight Club and that and they look at me and they're like oh let's go we're looking we're watching a classic we're watching a classic <laughs> Mr. Duchesne and I'm like going what no you're not and then I think wait a second it's not the searches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's if this exactly. If this, if this was 1985, and I was showing them a film from 1965. It would be a classic, you know. And yeah. So, how does that happen? Anyway, that's that's. <laughs> I'll talk with my therapist about that. <laughs> it's just it's, but it isn't. It's it's intriguing. Um, when when we when we look back at how people handled um not not only handled conflict but just handled day-to-day life in the 80s and 90s Mm. it's i I, i'm still blown away we have computers in our pockets (laughs) yeah still it's still a novelty to me Um, yeah i mean in fact in fact one of the things one of the one of the things that i find very interesting and one of the kind of contrasts that i often sort of draw is between you know because there really does seem to be a sort of disconnect between let's call, let's say English speaking cultures and, you know, Italian cultures, you know, in, in various books, in various ways, I kind of refer to Italy as being basically like the 1970s with new technology. Oh yeah. So, you know, like the kind of, you know, the kind of attitudes that people have 
are really quite different from the attitudes and they, they do remind me a lot of you know the 80s and the 90s um, as opposed to the sort of attitudes that people have you know when I go back to the UK or what have you um, huh. it's there, there is a very different sort of you know mindset here um, in all sorts of different ways um, and it's not just a kind of you know kind of literally a kind of cultural one it's also you know to do with just sort of modernity if you see what I mean and and it's and and this always intrigues me is because yes we are all connected like globally but hey man you know we really don't know you know like i don't know what it's like in bologna to walk down certain streets and the energy of the streets and the vibe of the other mm-hmm. people there's mm-hmm. there's a there's an interesting beauty to um to really being there even if we think we know italy you don't know what you don't know italy until you're si- you're sitting in italy and you're sitting in the city for a while mm-hmm. and good and bad things happen to you and you get to you get into the tribe a little bit get out of well, the precisely. Yeah. yeah i mean well precisely because um, well, there are two things really I want to say around that. One is that, you know, we travel so much so frequently now, particularly in Europe, um, I think, um, at least pre-COVID, there was this massive, over the last 10 years, this massive explosion of cheap travel. Um, and, you know, you could hop on a, a plane and literally, if you really wanted to, you could get to anywhere from anywhere in western or east in in europe in the european union um for let's say 20 20 dollars you know ridiculous and um that kind of you know so 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 young people young people of today you know would kind of take a kind of a jet like i used to take a bus right and um, and and everyone does that, or everyone was doing that pre-COVID. And there was this sort of sense that everywhere's the same. You know, you go to Italy and, oh, you know, they've got a McDonald's and, you know, and Ugh. you just kind of go to a restaurant. Yeah. And, okay, you may kind of struggle a bit with the language, but, you know, people have got phones and looks like this. And, and, you know, people and things are pretty much the same, particularly in the European Union. And I say that as a you know, as a victim of Brexit, but, you know, particularly in the European Union, where, whereby, you know, even if you kind of got knocked down by a, a car or something, they'd take you to the hospital and because you'd have your European Union health card, card, you'd get treated for free, you know, in the hospital and all the rest, you know. So it's this kind of like huge kind of homogenous sort of, you know, culture, despite the, the linguistic and kind of aesthetic differences. But actually, as you drill down, the longer you stay in the kind of culture, you know, the more certainly I have realised how fundamentally different, um, you know, it really is because the assumptions that sort of underlie it are fundamentally different um, to like, you know, the assumptions that say would underlie, I would say, you know, English speaking cultures, even, you know, the, the UK, US cultures, despite the fact they're also quite different, you know, the kind of, for example, the, the, the you know, Italian perspective on, on authority oh you know the Italians are always rebelling against authority well you know why is this well because actually you know you learn you learn that obviously historically you know Italy is Italy is younger than the United States of America the nation before then it was occupied it was occupied for like the 2000 years following the fall of Rome and it's only been a nation for about 150 years before then it was basically you know it was ruled by foreigners spanish or austrians or whatever and you know it seems to me that the kind of italians developed a kind of mirror culture you know a culture which was not about their national identity and therefore listening and kind of obeying the state it was why you know family was most Im- the most important thing you know, um, you know, why the church became a kind of alternative, provided an alternative national identity, an alternative authority figure, um, and so on, you know, and, and so, you know, there's this kind of sense in Italy of resistance, you know, you, you need to resist the state, because fundamentally, the state is still in a kind of um, unconscious sense, kind of seen as, as, as a, colon- a, a colonialist oppressor, 
It's not because the Italians are sort of like intrinsically rebellious. It's because, you know, basically they see the state as a kind of <laughs> unconsciously as this kind of oppressor and they're resisting it. You know, you, you stay here longer and you kind of learn, you know, you, you develop these assumptions or you develop these conclusions. I'm not saying that they're right, but that's, that's how I feel about it. And, you know, with Bologna, um, you know, Bologna was this city that at least when I started writing about it was, I mean, Bologna, you know, when my wife said, oh, you know, I've been offered this job in Bologna. Do you want to come? You know, it was like, <laughs> Bologna, <laughs> was, that? was it, was that, was that kind of like, do you want to come or do you want to get divorced? Was that the deal? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. But <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, Bologna, where's that? And you're like looking and like, oh, you know, you do a wiki. Oh, you know, it's kind of like, a, I didn't even know where it was, you know, because like, I wasn't that into like Italy or anything. It was just like, you know, I've been to Italy, Italy like, you're into Italian women, but you weren't into Italy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and um, and so I just I knew nothing about it. And you know, industrial city in the north, blah blah blah. I didn't know anything about it having like the largest historical center outside Venice in the world. Um, I didn't know, or at least in Europe. I don't want to kind of diss other places, but I think it's maybe the world. And uh, you know the most porticos and all this. I didn't know anything, and um, and then I thought I actually thought well maybe people know a bit more. But I, I was I was introduced to this um, guy just randomly at a, a, a fellow authors event, and he was very sort of you know posh guy. He was like a lawyer to the Queen or something, not quite the Queen but almost. And he kind of like you know shook my hand. He said, "Oh, you write these?" And he said, "What do you do?" Yeah, "What do you do?" Because you know they always ask, "What do you do?" And what do you uh, do? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm writing these, uh, you know, writing, I write these books about Bologna. Oh, Bologna, yeah, he said, that's a sort of northern, that's a sort of a northern industrial Italian city. He didn't know this, like, super cultured guy. So, you know, my, I, so I really saw my um, mission in the first three novels of the series to literally almost like, I was a fantasy or a sci-fi author to world build. So, so, you know, if you read the kind of like three novels, you know, you know, I'm literally kind of building a world, not just kind of like a kind of a family, but I'm literally kind of building a world saying, this is Bologna. Because, you know, people have a template. If you say, oh, I'm, I'm writing about a you know, detective in Rome, they think, oh, Rome, Colosseum, you know, St. Peter, St. Peter's, this, that, the other. Or I'm writing about Venice. Oh, Venice, yeah, canals, gondolas, bloody, bloody, blah. Bologna, what's Bologna? It's just this kind of like blob in their heads. It's like, or in America, you have Bologna, which is like a sausage or something, isn't it? I don't know. A terrible one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, so I literally, you know, had to like say, you know, and this is Bologna. So in the first three novels, I'm really kind of setting out to world build. And, um, and, you know, that's basically, that's basically what I had hope I've achieved. And now in the, the fourth one, um, obviously, you know, you know, I, I talk about Italy, I talk about the city and so on, but I'm trying to kind of go in and deeper, you know, and now we have, now we have the world. Here's another story from the world, if you see what I mean. It, that's interesting. And, and with that, with you as a person, it, it, you, you must be, kind of that must put you on the fast track to totally understand Bologna yourself well I guess I, I'm like presenting myself as <laughs> or <authority>. not <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean I think I'd let Italians be the judge of that um and I and I'm and I have to say that I mean obviously I get my wife and a couple of my friends you know Italian friends to read it and they you know I say look you know Tell me if there's something awfully yeah. wrong here. I've got anything wrong, and you know, and so they kind of, they they kind of correct me. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not an Italian scholar. Um, uh, you know, I was not an Italophile, um, but you know, my background is in journalism. I have a naturally curious nature, and you know, I'm a writer, um, and so that's what kind of you know leads me to kind of describe the world and write about the world. When when you show your wife and you show other Italians, do at some do they sometimes go wow go wow I didn't realize this about Bologna or wow I you, you picked up on something that I never really 
thought about? Yeah, I mean, actually, that has been said. I think it's more because um, I actually kind of like pick up on things that, you know, aren't that well known. Um, uh, you know, like in the second one in the hunting season, you know, the subject is the counterfeit truffle trade. So, you know, and that was kind of inspired by a mate of mine, you know, because he lives out in the countryside. And, um, you know, I'd go out and see him and like, you know, he'd take me to a restaurant and, you know, they'd have truffles. It's like the truffle season now or whatever. And he'd like whisper me and say, you know, but these aren't, these aren't really local truffles, you know. There's, there's been a drought this year. They're actually getting these from Albania. You know, it's like, and then like I, I learned about the kind of like this whole kind of black market of kind of um, uh, counterfeit truffles, um, and that kind of inspired my 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 second novel, The Hunting Season, because you know, someone's kind of like trying to kind of pass these kind of fake uh, truffles off as like you know the real thing, and you know because truffles are really uh, valuable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like a, a lot of money in them. And um, so, yeah, so that was the subject of that. And the third book, uh, Requiem in La Rosa, um, you know, uh, my wife went on a tour um, because she belongs to this um, sort of women's group. And then they, 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 on this particular occasion, the men folk were allowed to join. And um, <laughs> so we went on a tour of, um, of, the, of the Bologna's music, uh, music museum, because Bologna is like, has this incredible kind of, um, reputation as a center of music and um and you know he was just going through the ex ex exhibits and he kind of like said oh because you're a women's group i'll like you know tell you about um you know these instruments well these were made for like the the, the nuns of santa cristina who who you know were basically musical nuns but they weren't allowed to 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 play brass instruments because the pope or the bishops or what have you said it was indecent and so huh. they replicate the brass sound on on these string instruments. Well, I and, mean, when they're you know, sticking their mouths on brass instruments, I kind of uh, get uh, that. You know what uh, I'm saying? Uh, uh, oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so that got me interested in the story of these nuns. Yeah. And I did a huge amount of research and I discovered about this kind of like this kind of battle these nuns fought to, to, to be recognized and how the kind of like the, the church authorities sort of um, closed them down and, and, it, and it ended by a siege of their convent, like a literally a siege. Oh, wow. they, they, they threw siege to their convent, and the, the nuns were like throwing stuff at them, like you know, from you know, and 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 so that kind of like the the story of the nuns of uh, Santa Cristina, it kind of like was the beginning, the beginning really, and and the inspiration for my my third novel. Um, so yeah, I and mean, that's the sort of stuff that a lot a lot of you know locals don't know about. That's the that's a lot of fun. Mm. Um, Tom, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, so, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Was that an abrupt ending? <laughs> <laughs> Our hour is up, sir. <laughs> I could see the hour being up, so. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Benjamin on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, A Quiet Death in Italy. Next week on the show, on our first show of 2022, my guest is Joanna Liocci. And we'll chat with her about her book, At Vesuvio, which is one of the greatest bars in San Francisco, right across Jack Kerouac Alley from City Lights Bookstore. So tune in next week. Have a great New Year's and thank you for listening.
You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. 